This week's right now, as we hear from our lead pastor, Ben. Greater than me, because that I could never be. A humble servant broken down and beaten with severity, wiped away the severance so all could walk with clarity. So really what's been scaring me? Is it Jesus that I really want? So here I am again to pray. You know the words I want to say. Is my picture perfect, posture pleasing? I sit with tears and questions, pleading a wounded heart that groans from shame. Will the Father answer or push away? Oh, you've already made that start. You say that this is that change of heart. It started with a plea. So now you take a seed and you grow it into a tree. It won't be perfect because I am not he. The one we all reject be in my heart. So here I am again. Where do I start? It is Jesus that I want. Hello, everyone. It's good to see you. Glad you're here. You know, we get to do this in lots of different locations all at the same time. And I think it's really good for us to just acknowledge one another and welcome. Will you do that? Help me just kind of welcome in everybody. So say good morning. People at Edgewood and Abingdon and Aberdeen, Mountain Road, online, wherever you are. Glad you're with us. So, um, hey, two weeks, yeah, Jared was just saying, two weeks is Easter, and uh, I want to make sure you know something. We're going we're gonna to go all out, and we're going to have a swimming pool at every single campus, every single service, because we think there's some people that need to follow the step of um, obedience and joy to be baptized. And if that is not you, if you have not been baptized... Uh, if you're ready for a new start, you're ready to wash away your sins, you're ready to take the plunge, or you know someone, you want to just take and bring and throw them in, that's great. But be here uh, that day, and uh, it's going to be awesome. There's a number on the screen. Text, text the word baptism uh, to that number, and someone will be in touch with you and uh, just help you know what you need to know. But if, even if you don't do that, just show up that day. We're ready for you, okay? So everyone is involved in this somehow. You're either going to be here that day going, okay, I, I need to take this step. And I'm ready for it, um, to begin your life with God and head off in a new direction. Or uh, you're praying about this, okay? You're praying that God moves powerfully in our church, and uh, Easter weekend's going to be a special time, okay? Everybody, everybody good with that? Okay, so we're in this series called Rock Your World, right? It's just a reminder that when we can stop praying lame prayers that don't mean anything to God or us, but when we can finally start really connecting with God, it'll, it'll change the heart of God, it'll change us, it'll change people around us. That, that's what we mean by rock your world. And none of us feels like we're great at prayer. None of us, none of us feels like, oh, I know exactly how to do this. I've got a, a master's you know, in prayer. But you know, a couple things. One, it doesn't matter who you are, how far you think you are from God. We can steal prayers from the Bible and make them our own and really connect with God, especially when we remember uh, the definition that I think is a good definition for prayer. So here's what it is. Here's that definition, right? Prayer, simply say it with me. Prayer is the real and the real having a real. That's it. Key word being real. Got to keep it real. And, and that's a real uh, powerful uh, reminder for us. So we started a couple weeks ago um, saying that prayer that honestly is the prayer that all of us have prayed if we've ever prayed any prayer at all, which is when we come to the end of ourselves and we're desperate and we finally say, what do we say? We say, 
Help, that's number one prayer, and all of us have prayed that word, help. Then uh, Jared helped us see that in a world that's so ugly and divided and at each other, there's a prayer that Jesus prayed and taught us to pray as well for oneness and unity, a beautiful reminder from the, the messy shirt that Jared wore that day. And then last week we reminded ourselves that, man, there's a, there's a whole other layer to our prayers, our connection with God. Like it, it gets beyond just, dear God, will you please send help, send blessing, send strength, send comfort, send what I need. Instead, we simply pray what? Lord, send me. Here I am, send me. Instead of asking what God can do for me, what can I do for God and his purposes and his kingdom in, in my life? And today we want to change gears pretty radically. And I want to ask you, like, what do you do when the real you is so angry? Or when the real you is, is hurting so bad? Or when the real you is so upset or in the middle of something so hard and part of you thinks maybe instead of praying to God, you want to punch him in the nose. Then what? I've got a friend who's a pastor in Mississippi and a young couple in his church got their dream home a couple years ago. You've been following the news this week about Mississippi? Yeah, their, their house is gone. Mike and Jana saved up money for years to start their new startup. Their business took off. It was going great. Then COVID hit. They lost everything. Young couple, uh, Pat and uh, Mike, they are so ready to have kids, and they want kids so badly. Uh, She's doing all the right things, you know, she is. Doing all the right things. But after their third miscarriage, she just came home and she just sat on the toilet and cried for an hour. And when Pat got home from work, when he got home from work, he he just went into the bathroom, curled up on the tile floor and sobbed next to her. Alex has struggled with... um, Depression, as long as he can remember. He's always had these thoughts, and lately he's really wrestling with, like, thoughts of ending it all. And he's trying to just spend so much energy trying to put those thoughts in the right place in his head. Terry, uh, it started with her teacher who touched her, and then it progressed into a nightmare until she eventually asked the question that all survivors of that nature ask, like, what's wrong with me? Should I tell anyone? Would anyone ever want me? There comes a moment in every one of our lives, in every one of these situations, which are all true stories, and in every one of our lives, when we face hurt and hardship and even horrible things, when you ask a question, when you... Get to the place where this one word flies out of you. Whether it's a a scream from the depths of your guts or whether it's just a kind of quiet thing muttered into your sleeve. But it can also be a prayer directed to God. And that word is why. Why? As in, 
Why, God? Why is this happening? Why me? Why now? Why not that person? Why didn't you do something? Why? And a lot of people on this big, big question have lost themselves down philosophical rabbit holes where you ask these impossible to answer questions and just spend time, you know, trying to figure all kinds of things out in these intellectual debates, which isn't a lot of help usually to someone who's really just hurting. And others use it as an excuse to sort of say they don't believe in God or to turn away from God as if life being hard is somehow a proof that God isn't real or isn't good. We're not really talking about any of those pursuits. Those are valid discussions to have, and we've had them, and we'll continue to have them in other times and places. But today, what I'm trying to do is, is, is to help you see that we can take that word, and instead of using it as a launch into some endless philosophical debate, we can take that word, turn it into a prayer, and aim it at God. And that this is, in fact, a healthy and good thing to do for people of faith who are interested in having a prayer life that's real. But only if you're interested in having real you and real God having a real conversation. Now, some of us are not probably comfortable with this. You may be surprised to learn that this kind of prayer is legit, like it's in the Bible's approved list of prayers. Did you know that? I mean, the word why, doesn't it almost sound kind of disrespectful? Kind of like, oh, it might be, is there too much doubt laced in there? Or is this, is this the equivalent of poking your finger into the chest of God and is that okay? What I want to just remind us today is that the Bible proves over and over again that this simple word is very much a prayer that is all through the Bible and on the lips of people of faith all the time. I could give you a hundred examples. I'll just give you a couple. One, Moses. Remember last week we talked about how sometimes God sends you someplace, right? Well, God sent Moses. Go tell Pharaoh to let my people go, right? Out of Egypt. So here he went and he told Pharaoh that. And you know what Pharaoh did? He's like, is that right, Moses? And he doubled down and he made the suffering and the servanthood of the people twice as bad as it was before he ever went to him. And what does Moses say? He goes to God and he goes, why did you put me through the, when you're trying to do the thing that you think God called you to do and it blows up in your face? Sometimes you go right back to God and you go, why? What's up here? In Numbers chapter 11, when they're out in the wilderness, the people are like, we're dying out here. We're just, this is so bad. It's a desert. God, why did you send us out here to die? And God's like, chill, I got you. And he sends some bread. It's like manna. It's every day. What is it? It's on the ground. It's this new stuff. And they're like, oh, great, manna. We got food. God is awesome. We love it. And then Tuesday was like, more manna. And then Wednesday was like, manna again. And then Thursday was like, manna every day. And then eventually they got really sick of manna because there's only so many ways apparently you can fix manna, like manna sandwiches, Manna casserole, banana bread, manicotti. You know, you run out of ideas after a while. And they're like, oh, Moses, we hate manna. We hate you. And then what does Moses say to God? Why? Why are you doing this? Why are you playing games with me, God? Job probably suffered more than anyone in history, right? Lost his family, lost his sons and his daughters and his farm and his livelihood. And he's got boils all over his body. What does he say to God? Why? Why did you even let me be born if this is what my life was going to be like? Chapter 7, he says, why are you setting me up like I'm your target? Chapter 13, he says, why do you hide your face from me? On and on. What I would like us to notice in all these examples, I could give you a hundred more from the Bible, is that is, is to notice who the why is aimed at. 
It's all conversation with God. And while God's not necessarily like, oh, my bad on all these things, he welcomes that kind of prayer. It's not the shout of an atheist. Atheism is a new invention, realized, in just the last couple hundred years. Like before that, no one would ever thought of like, Pretending God didn't exist. Everybody knew God existed and you just yelled at God. Now we're like, we're too smart for that. We don't, we're going we're gonna to pretend God doesn't exist. That'll really get him. And we think we're hurting him or something. But today we learn that people of faith take everything, even their why. Even if sometimes you have to kind of pummel the chest of God like a toddler before you melt into the embrace, you can take it to God. One of the gifts that the Bible gives us is, um, is examples of this in the form that's called lament. You heard that word, lament, right? So the word lament just means to, to grieve or to be sorrowful or to mourn or to be sad or to express regret and so forth. And it turns out it's a, it's a form of expression and poetry and so forth, and it's all over the Bible. In fact, you know the book of Psalms has 150 psalms in it. And they fall into different types or categories. Some of the psalms are really happy, upbeat, like praise psalms. Like, hey, God, thank you. You're amazing. And other times, they're not. In fact, 42 of those 150 psalms, about a third of them, in other words, are laments. Meaning that a third of the time, here's the, here's the Hebrew prayer book. Here's the Christian song book. This is our worship text. And you know what it's telling us? A third of the time, you're coming to God going, why? Because that's what a lament does. And I think we are not very good at that. I think American Christianity is not very good at that. I think we love to paint over our pain. I think we've convinced ourselves that Christians are always happy and have joy. You know, it's like be a happy Christian. And and it's like we learn to even be disingenuous with each other because we're not always sure we know what to do with what's real. And honestly, in my opinion, this is why so many people are so screwed up as a result of the last few years of pandemic, because we don't deal well with sorrow or pain. We've lost so much. There was so much grief, so much loss, things, so many things got taken away, and we're like, I don't know how to deal with that. So we just kind of go on, and we stuff it, or we don't deal with it. I'm that way. I, I mean, I hate feeling sad. I hate anger. I, don't, I actually hate feelings. I don't have time for feelings. I prefer not to do that. So a lot of times I don't. And you know what happens? When I'm that way, I'm not really connecting with God very well because it's not the real me. And the real God having a real conversation. So lament is like a gift because it reminds us that, you know, we have some words we can steal and borrow to take to God when it, when it fits us. It reminds us that the whole human gamut of emotions is allowable and welcome in the presence of God. Like it's all good. He's heard it all before. He can handle it. He's got broad shoulders. Kick him in the shins if you want. He can take it. Because you'd rather have a real you bring in that real than some kind of fake little prefabricated Christianese prayer that doesn't even mean anything. So the real you. So the question is, life's going to happen. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hurtful and even horrible sometimes. Where do you go with it? That's the question. Americans are great at saying, I'm going to go have my little christian thing over here, but I don't really deal with God and this. I don't take it to him. And then I just deal with all of my stuff over here some other way, and I leave God out of it. And we wonder why our faith is so shallow. Let me show you what a lament looks like. Psalm 13 is a good example. First couple of verses there. Every lament kind of follows the same format, sort of. It's kind of like... Um, I don't know, it's like a knock-knock joke. They all start the same, right? Knock-knock, who's there? And you say something, right? Well, the lament is the same way. They kind of have a flow and a structure to them. 
And um, I'm going to make it real simple and just kind of tell you there's basically two parts to it, a front and a back, <laughs> a top and a bottom, if you will. And it all starts, it all starts with this word, why. Look at Psalm 13, for example. It's a, it's a six verses. It's a short lament, but it comes out of the depths of someone's heart. And he says in the first few verses, how long must I wrestle with my thoughts day after day and have this sorrow in my heart? This is a pretty real prayer. The next verse says, uh, going to verse 2, how long will my enemy triumph over me? This is the why part of the prayer. Every lament starts with a a complaint, a a why, how long, what gives, where are you kind of sentiment. Every single lament has this strange turn in it, this bizarre change that happens in Psalm 13, after expressing this kind of pain and sorrow, complaint and why, the second part happens in verse 5. Let's look at verse 5. Psalm 13, verses 5 and 6. But, but, I just expressed all this stuff and said, but I trust in your unfailing love. But my heart's still going to rejoice in your salvation, but I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. Wow, that's a long way from how long I can't stand what's going on and God, I'm not so happy with you to, but I'm going to trust in your unfailing love. The first part of a lament is always the why and then it moves to the but, but where you eventually come and you just cling to faith. Now here's something important for you to know. That the gap, the time period between why and but is unknown. And this is important. It's not probably like someone sat down and had this range of experience in five minutes. They're not living this psalm in real time. This more likely is written after the fact. And what happened was there was a period of time where there was a lot of that why, how long, what's going on, where are you, God? And we don't know how long that was. It could have been a year. It could have been two weeks. It could have been a month where you live in the why. And then eventually there's that step of faith where you get to the but, I trust the Lord. At the end of the day, where else are you going to turn? At the end of the day, you know he's good. You start here and you say, life is hard. Everybody say, life is hard. And eventually you find yourself over in a leap of faith over here to where you say, but God is good. Say, but God is good. We start here. Life is hard. Why, why, why? There's a lot of things that really deserve a a good why. But eventually, and it might be a week, it might be an hour, it might be a year, a person of faith can take that step of faith and say, you know what, I still trust the Lord. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. That's the prayer that we get to where you say, I do have questions, but I still trust in the Lord with all of my heart. I know this doesn't make sense. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. In all my ways, including this one I'm going through right now, I'm going to acknowledge the Lord and simply submit to him. And he will make my paths straight. And that, my friend, is the beautiful pathway of a lament. It's a movement from life is hard to God is good, from pain to praise, from doubt to delight in the Lord. 
It's, it's from why is this happening, God, to where are you in this, God? Because I know you're working somehow. What are you up to in this? You see that? That's a big change. But eventually we get there. As we move from despair to delight. You sometimes come with questions and you don't get answers, but you do get the presence of God and the goodness of God. And each time you experience it, it kind of bolsters your faith so you know that the next time you're going through something hard, hurtful, or horrible, you can get to that but part a little faster. It doesn't make the pain go away, but it does build your faith. And it helps you cope with life. And Jesus said there's going to be lots of stuff to cope with. You know, the one who prayed this prayer most meaningfully that sets us up to win is Jesus himself. You know that, right? When he was hanging on the cross, literally taking into himself all of the why pain of the world, all of the sin, all of the sorrow, all the shame, all the guilt, literally absorbing it into his own self, so much so that in that moment, the Holy Father had to kind of turn away in that moment of dereliction. Jesus cried out from the cross, actually quoting a psalm of lament. Did you know that? He quotes out of Psalm 22. What does he say? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And then he went with all that pain and sin and sorrow into the grave and rose again so that you and I would never have to have a moment like that. Where we would never have to have a moment where we're actually cut off from the Father. So that even if you don't get all the answers you want on the timetable you and I want, we always have the presence of God with us. And that's how you move from why to but. You know, um, when I was a kid, we used to sing a hymn once in a while, an old song. Some of you probably know it. Probably actually almost nobody knows it. <laughs> uh, I must tell Jesus all of my sorrows, all of my trials. I don't even know the song. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, he kindly will help me. He ever loves and cares for his own. It goes on to say, I must tell Jesus. I must tell Jesus. It's a great old song, and I never paid any attention to it. One day we were in chapel at camp, this family camp thing, and there was this lady. She's crazy. She was a really nutso crazy lady. <laughs> Kids, we always made fun of her. She'd talk. We'd just kind of roll our eyes, snicker behind her back. One day we were singing this song. We are sitting in the back doing whatever kids do, and I saw this woman stand up. We didn't do that in the middle of the song. And she put her hands up in the air, and we didn't do that either. Like she was reaching up to grab the hem of Jesus' garment or something. Her eyes were closed. Tears are streaming down her face. She's singing at the top of her lungs. I must tell Jesus. I cannot bear these burdens alone. And then I got to thinking, that woman, she has so much pain in her life. I mean, her kids were a mess off the rails. Marriage was no good, weird. Her health was bad. Their finances were bad. Their church was splitting. And she could have been like, well, I don't believe in God anymore. I just, you know, I'm just angry person. But here she was coming to camp with her hands in the air saying, I'm going to tell Jesus about it. Starts with a why, ends with a statement of trust. 
I, uh, I think it's important that each of us kind of deal with that and figure out, like, you can stuff it or you can bring it to God. You can, you can let what's happening to you when it's hard turn you away from God or you can turn to God. And we all have a choice to make. And the Bible holds up. All around us, there's people who are like, well, see, you know what? Bad stuff happened. That happened to me. And since, I, you know, that's a bad thing. And therefore, I'm going to, you know, not believe in God. I'm going to push against God. I'm going to run from God or whatever. And we do so to our own peril. And the Bible just holds up examples again and again and again of people who go through things really hard. Hurtful, horrible things. But who somehow have this anchor for their soul. Who somehow have the ability to hold on. And the reason is they don't just get the why part out of their mouth. They get to the but I will praise God anyway. And when you've got that, you've got something very special. I want you to meet someone um, and spend a few minutes hearing from her. Uh, she's a dear friend and known to many of us in the church. Her name is Susan Owens. She and her husband Jeff have been part of the church for a long time, uh, 30 years, I guess. And, uh, but, man, she's just someone who just so real and, uh, and has experienced what we're talking about today. And I thought, you know what, I learned from her when I listened to her, and I bet you will too. So will you give some attention now? We're going to just kind of, I recorded it earlier with her, and I want you just to hear it now. So uh, will you welcome our friend uh, via screen, watch the screen, Susan Owens. I'm so excited to hear part of your story. Will you share yeah. it with us? Thanks, Ben. <laughs> Catch your breath. Okay. Well, hi, Mountain family. Um, by all standards, I had a wonderful upbringing. I was the youngest of three, the only girl. I always knew that I was wanted and loved and didn't have to worry about if my needs would be met. My parents and all my grandparents were Christians. Um, we all went to church on Sunday and then would have a big family dinner. And then we'd go down to my grandma's farm where we'd play with all the cousins and pick blackberries. Seriously, it was idyllic. I was born with a temperament of perfectionism um, if you're familiar at all with the Enneagram, it's like the, the type one that just craves order and beauty and perfection. And all those attributes reflect something of God's character. So perfection's not a bad thing. But the flip side of the one is that uh, when things aren't perfect, you experience anger. And I might even say rage. Um, not only are we born with a certain temperament, we're conditioned, of course, by our families and our surrounding culture and the faith traditions we receive. And I had a solid church upbringing. I came to know the Lord at a young age, and I knew I should take my faith seriously. Uh, I didn't want to disappoint God or my parents. So this all fit into my neat and orderly paradigm for life. Things were going great. I moved to Baltimore for my first job. I came to Mountain. Um, I met some friends at a Bible study down in the city. I met my husband, Jeff, here. We raised our two kids uh, here at Mountain, and things were going great until it wasn't. And one day, I picked up the kitchen bar stool, and I threw it into the drywall. My dear husband, so like God himself, you know, who doesn't remember things as far as the east is from the west, says he doesn't really recall this situation, but I sure do. And he said to me, 
I think you need to talk to somebody about your anger. Now, if you'd asked me if I was an angry person, I would have said no. I mean, it's really amazing how much a human can deny, repress, push to the periphery of the consciousness things that are hard to face. Um, after receiving some pastoral counseling, I did have a clearer picture of where my anger was coming from. And I'm a big proponent of good Christian counseling. But I found out that I needed more than that. I needed the balm of Gilead. My husband was right. I did need to talk to someone about my anger and that someone was Jesus. You see, my beloved oldest brother began to make bad choices as a teenager. Stealing, smoking, drinking, all things you think young people might do and, and just grow out of, but that wasn't the case for my brother. Um, he continued to smoke and binge drink on the weekends. There were a series of relationships, two marriages that didn't make it, stepchildren in and out of our lives, financial debt. His life was spiraling downward and he was taking the rest of our family with him. Many times my parents had to step in to rescue him and he would have been homeless if they hadn't taken him into their home when they were in their late 70s. It was during this time that he lost a job, had a DUI, and was arrested in my parents' home for threatening to kill his ex-wife by burning her house down with her in it. The only time he was sober his entire adult life was the six months he was court-ordered to attend AA. Then the doctor said, there's nothing we can do, and he died from lung cancer and cirrhosis of the liver in his addiction. Now this was a very private pain, not something we talked about outside of my family. I witnessed at, from a young age the grief and pain that this caused my parents, and I vowed never to cause them the kind of pain my brother did. So I kind of kept it all bottled up inside because good Christians don't get angry, and they certainly don't talk about their problems. Now during all these years, I was super active at church. I was leading women's groups. I was teaching people how to have a relationship with Jesus. Um, probably like many of you, I'd get up in the morning and make my coffee, I'd read the Bible, and I would just pray all those prayer requests that were in my prayer journal. For 20 plus years, I prayed that way. I followed that routine with great sincerity. I prayed what Ben has called like help prayers for all the people that I loved, and they were very important prayers. Many of those requests were centered around my brother's life and his relationships for sobriety and salvation. One morning I was sitting at my kitchen table and there that anger started to arise up in me again. And I slammed my prayer journal shut and I yelled, God, if, there's any, if this is all there is to prayer, then I'm just done with it. I mean, what kind of God doesn't answer 20 years of prayers for sobriety and salvation? I had so much anger at my brother for his poor decisions and wasted life, all he had put our family through, and I was especially angry at God for not caring enough to do anything about it. I was in a crisis of faith. I had serious questions for God, and I wondered how he could be trusted and if he was even good. Later, I would come to believe that what felt like an angry, questioning outburst where I angrily accused God and even doubted him 
was an important and honest breakthrough, maybe even a normal part of a life of faith. Those prayers were just as real as all the holy prayers I had prayed for all those people, if not even more real. And God graciously heard me out and met me in my anger and in my grief through all of those why prayers that I was crying out. Now one might wonder what happens when you slam your prayer journal shut and tell God that you're done. Um, Honestly, nothing. There was just quiet. There was silence. And then I just heard a tender voice say, it's okay, I never asked you to do any of that stuff anyway, talking about my prayer list that I prayed so faithfully. My quiet time changed. I got up every morning, still made my coffee, Don't know if it was a sense of routine or duty, but I would still sit at the kitchen table and read my Bible, but I didn't pray. I was so filled with anger and grief, I didn't have any words. I I wanted, I guess, to believe that God was still good. I just sat for months like that in the stillness and quiet. But during those months, I began to sense that this was exactly what the Lord wanted. He just simply wanted us to be together. My anger in those months began to subside and I began to have a bit of a flickering hope that there was more, that the Lord himself was going to help me. I didn't know how and I didn't know when, but I knew that God heard my shouts of anger and that that was real prayer. It led to an awareness that sitting in solitude and silence connected me to the heart of God in a way that I really very much needed, and that that was prayer too. The real me and the real God making a real connection. Along the way, my conversations kind of with God began to turn towards journaling. I had learned through soul care that, you know, asking tough questions about our lives, our family of origin, choices that we've made in our lives and how those things have impacted you was a really important process. And my journaling had moved from a place of sort of perfectionism, you know, making sure I diligently prayed those prayer requests, to a place of raw and unfiltered emotion as I wrote about my brother. And in the most profound and mysterious way, when I put pen to paper and my thoughts poured out, it was as if Jesus met me there and absorbed my pain. And I'd finished my journaling less burdened. Over time, I began to see that the God I was angrily shouting at was so much bigger, the kingdom of God was so much bigger, and so much more real than what I understood of my young faith growing up in that little corner of Virginia. A friend of mine said, one word from God is worth a thousand from anyone else. I was learning that I needed to quiet my heart and my mind and my soul to hear from him. Jesus, this cosmic Christ through whom the whole world was created, whispered to me, I am the brother that will never leave you. And the tender Holy Spirit said, I am with you always. My demand to know why was met by a who. I wanted answers and I was being given a presence. I didn't gain specific answers as to why God didn't answer prayers about my brother, 
but I grew to understand that God cares for every human being on the planet, every wayward son and daughter, every disreputable sinner, every alcoholic, every addict, not just good little girls who strive to do all the right things. God had not forgotten my brother. Through shouted prayers, sitting with Jesus in silence and journaling, God was strengthening me and healing my broken heart. But there were more challenges, of course. When my mother died seven years ago, I was immediately left to care for my dad. My mother, as many are, was the heart of our family. We were all grieving and just kind of lost a bit, even though she was 88 years old when she died. You'd think we would have been better prepared. We welcomed my dad to come and live with me, but he got depressed. He wanted to go home to Richmond, where he'd lived his whole life. So my husband and I committed to caring for him there. But then the pandemic hit, and he couldn't leave his house. So I had to leave my job here at Mountain and drive every seven to 10 days down to care for him. I didn't mind at first, because I really loved my dad, and I wanted to be a good daughter. He was such a good, kind, loving, morally upright, funny man. But then his care began to take a toll. And then dementia set in. And my smart, funny, loving father became someone else. I'd say that my depression was mild most of the time, moderate some of the time, and really, really bad once. It wasn't caring for my dad physically, it was his mental decline that was taking a toll on me. I was really languishing. I was spending time in silence and solitude, journaling about my anger and pain and sadness. Again, I was asking a lot of those why God questions and actually how long God questions. There wasn't an immediate answer. You might have seen me, I was the woman screaming in her car in the ShopRite parking lot, screaming at God because I just felt like I couldn't take it anymore. And again, God did have steps in place to help me once I was real and cried out for help. And one of the ways God provided help this time was through this church, his people at Mountain. My father had refused to have anyone come in to help care for him. But this time, I insisted. He liked Heather Lozada. Some of you may know her. And I could get out of the house once a week. And then I was asked to come, you know, work on ch at church and, um, as an elementary curriculum writer. And I just wanted you to know that God used these people and these things to breathe life back into me. God was there, not always in ways I predicted, but he was there. He was faithful and present through it all. I'm still growing and learning how to be with God through everything in life. You are too. I no longer try to hide and deny my anger or my sin, my struggles before God in prayer, but now I can anticipate and trust that he will be at work to forgive, to show up, and to help. You know, we control so very little, and God is the only one who can do any work in us and those we love. When we offer up those why God prayers in earnestness, we learn that God is with us in the great pain and mysteries of life. God is the one we turn to, and in those moments, those raw, painful, always real moments, all I can tell you is God is there. So I just wanna encourage you to bring your real self, your real prayers, even your angry whys to God 
and the God of all grace, all healing, all power and presence will meet you there. And as we continually learn to grow to live our lives with Christ in humility, minute to minute, bringing everything to him, he'll transform it. Our sin, our struggles, our pain, he'll replace it with his own life in us. Am I still a mess, Ben? (laughs) Heck yeah, I am. But I'm not who I was. Do I still get angry? I do. But when I get angry now, I can talk directly to God and say, God, I'm just so angry. Help me. And what I hear back is, good. We're making progress. You're bringing it to me sooner. I love you, and I'm here to help you. Thank you, Sue.